Thank you for all the people who are volunteering to be counselors, nurses, and other uh, uh, positions as we get ready to go to our camp. It, it's such an exciting time, and we're super fired up to be able to do our camps this year. Uh, uh, excited about what we're talking about. If you were with us online last week, Mike introduced our, our focus for July. And we'll be talking a little bit different than what we've been doing throughout the, the beginning of the year. As we've looked at Jesus's life, now we're looking specifically at Jesus's interaction with one person, one of his closest disciples, Peter. And we're going to dig into that. Mike showed us, uh, uh, brought us a lesson from early on in their relationship when uh, uh, Jesus first called Peter. We're going to go a little bit closer to the end today as we dig into Matthew and talk about close to where Jesus prepares to die. In Matthew 16, you can turn with me if you like, the scriptures will be on the screen. says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and you know, we talked about, I mentioned this scripture uh, uh, maybe a month or so ago. Uh, uh, it, it's, I, honestly, I really like it, especially when, as I mentioned, I think Mike pointed this out to us. When you first look at this question he asked, who do the people say I am? All of his disciples were quick to respond. They gave all of these answers of what they heard other people say. It's interesting, and as we go through these scriptures, we're going to have a slightly different focus. As I mentioned, just looking at this relationship between Peter and Jesus. Peter, from the very beginning, had this amazing respect and adoration for Jesus. If you remember when Mike told the story about when Jesus approached him, uh, at the boat, after they had been out fishing, right, after them as professional fishermen had did everything that they knew to do, they were tired from working hard, coming with nothing, and Jesus telling them to go out again, he refers to Jesus as master, right, and then later on he refers to him as Lord when he catches this big bounty of fish and he says, I don't, I'm not worthy of being around you, Lord. He says, go away from me, Lord. He has this amazing adoration and respect for Jesus. And we see here, while all of them were quick to respond, who do the people say that I am? Peter is the only one who's willing to say who he really believes Jesus is. I don't know if it's because the other ones had doubts. I don't know if they were worried. You know, sometimes you're in school and they get that question. You're like, dang, what if I get it wrong? And the, the question is about the teacher. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm ready to step up. But Peter has such an appreciation for Jesus that he was willing to put himself out there, take a chance, make this bold statement about who he believes God is, and stand behind that statement with his life. As we continue on, it says, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And, and you know what? Looking at this scripture with the scriptures that come after it, to me, adds to just the focus of what we really have here. You know, it, it had me thinking, you ever been in a situation where, you know, you, there's somebody who's like, oh, man, uh, uh, Curtis, you know, that's my boy. Oh, my gosh. You know, I love Curtis to death. Oh, man, I want to be with him all the time. That's my boy. Then, then somebody else see Curtis by himself like, yeah, Curtis, you know, such and such. Like, I mean, yeah, I met him before. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, I heard of him. You know what I mean? Or somebody asks if you know somebody, and you're trying to figure out where the relationship really stands. Man, here, when we hear this response from Jesus, it, it, it's this, again, overwhelming appreciation and adoration for who Peter is. Even to the point where he says, look, you are the rock, and I'm going to build this kingdom off of you. And he prepares to hand him the keys of the kingdom. The, this, this relationship is a mutual relationship. It's, there's no questions if Peter has, has set himself up in a place that Jesus doesn't agree with or Jesus doesn't connect with. There's this mutual relationship. And we'll continue on. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. Many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to, oh, we're going to stop right there. And, and, and I, I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes, right? You just said this amazing statement about this person you love. He's just shared, not just to you, but others can hear how much he appreciates you, how much he believes in you, how much he, responsibility he's willing to give you because of what he feels for you. And then you mess up. <laughs> and I, I want to tell you, you know, I looked this up where it says, get behind me statement, Satan. This was not like a soft statement in my mind. I, I, I've heard commentaries that say, well, Jesus wasn't necessarily saying it to Peter. He was saying he could see Satan was tempting him. So he was talking to Satan. And in my head, I'm like, I don't care who he's talking to. He's looking at me. You know what I mean? He's saying these words to me. And I even went to the point where I'm like, well, let me look up so I don't mess this up. Let me look up like the old, you know what I'm saying, the Greek, what it really said in the Greek. Maybe it's not really Satan. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's like, oh, this is just this term of when you're not quite happy with something that somebody does. No, it says Satana. <laughs> and Satana means the devil, Satan, the deceiver. Everything that Satan means is what this word meant. And after he says this bold statement, he hits him hard. He says, you are a stumbling block to me. He tells him, you don't even have in mind the concerns of God. I can't imagine no matter what Jesus was saying or what the, uh, uh, even if everything that you see in any concordance, text, whatever is true, 
if I'm Peter, in my heart of hearts, I feel like this is going to hurt. This is going to cause questions in our relationship. But we'll continue on. Because interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't stop there. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And, and, you know, for us, that sounds encouraging. For us, that sounds like, wow, you know, this is what Jesus is going to do. We know the end of the story. This is what's going to happen. This is why this has to happen. I put myself in the, in, in the shoes of Peter. To me, it feels like God is doubling down. Like Jesus is making sure it's clear whatever you did before was wrong. It, it's almost like when you're talking when you were a kid. Some of us go back a little bit farther than others. And your mom tells you something, and you're like, I'm sorry, I get it. And then you know what comes next is that lecture. And it's like, you got to sit here and listen to this. Like, I already apologized. I already said I get it. I already understand everything you have to say. Sometimes you sit in there like, did you take time to write this out? Like, you can't just come up with that much off the top of your head. You, you had to practice this. You know what I mean? And you sit there, and you have to listen to it. And it's like he says, look. Not only is what, what you have not in line, but I want you to know that you can't act like this. You have to let go of yourself. You have to let go of what you want. And it's like he's doubling down over and over again. Like if you don't lose your life and stop being like this, you're not going to save yourself. And, and it's this double emphasis that, that he's putting on Peter. That, that, that it, it, and I'm speaking from the heart of Peter. Remember today we're talking about Jesus and Peter's relationship. To me, it would feel like, man, just this pounding of, man, okay, I get it. I messed up. I thought I was going to be the one that was going to lead the kingdom. I thought I was going to be the one. Almost instantly, you reminded me how messed up I am. I get it. And oftentimes, we stop there. We look at these scriptures, even in our own lives and our hearts. We get to this point where we love Jesus. We know he loves us. We know how much he cares for us. And then we mess up. Then we fall short. We do something wrong. We realize just how sinful we really are. And we stop there. I was challenged by a book I was reading one time to not stop there and to read the very next page. And we'll go on. It says, after six days... Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up high, or led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Technology, it'll work. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, 
It is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, and, and I believe when we look at this together, we get this true picture of who Jesus is and who God is looking at this relationship. Because if you stop in Matthew 16, it could feel like there's this tension. It can feel like there's this, this point where Jesus believed in Peter and then he didn't. It could feel like we go from I love you so much to get behind me, Satan, and we leave it there. But when you look at this scripture, is Jesus specifically picked these three guys because of his relationship with them. And he says, because of who you are, I want you to see something amazing. And, he, and, and Peter's response is, Lord, it's so good for us to be here. There was a part of me picturing, like, if there was a piece of him responding this way, like saying, man, it makes me feel so good to know that we're okay right now. It makes me feel so good to know that things are well. But he says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. This book that I mentioned before, uh, 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 it's called Unoffendable. He tells this story that I could relate to so much, I'm not going to tell his story. I'm going to tell my version of the story. But he was talking about just how powerful God's love is. Don't worry, it's not a basketball story. <laughs> that's, for, that's not just for the people who don't like basketball stories. Every now and then I get somebody come up to me like, look, don't tell no stories about me today. Don't tell them. But I'm going to take you back to my childhood. I have to do a little bit of a background for you. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. My family didn't have much. We spent our first 10 years of my life, we lived in someone's attic. In order to move out of the neighborhood we, in, we were in because it was so bad, a group of us decided to move together, family. It was my grandmother and grandfather, my aunt and uncle and their two kids, my mom and her four kids, or three kids, including me. 10 people moving into the same house. As you can imagine, we needed a fairly decent-sized house in order to do this, but putting our money together, we were going to be, we are going to be able to make it. Actually, let's be realistic. My grandfather had money. We didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> we find this house. It's a nice house in a really nice neighborhood, great school district, uh, a big, decent-sized house, enough rooms for all of us. Me and my cousins would share rooms. My mom and my sister shared a room, which for us, that was still an upgrade because all four of us stayed in the same room for the first half of, or the first 10 years of my life. And, and, and we worked it out. Now what was special about this house though, was there was this other side of the house because the person, the family that uh, came before us had a child with a disability. And so they built an addition onto the house with a ramp and all of that stuff so that she would have her own space and would be able to move around and not have to worry about the stairs and everything on the other side. This was back in like the 80s, 90s though, when like if you come to my house, you'll see toys in every single room. Back then, you were only allowed to go play in like one or two rooms. You didn't go in the living room, you didn't go in the dining room, you didn't touch the family room unless the whole family was there. You didn't touch anything except for these rooms that you were allowed to go in, and that included this other side. But we had 10 people living in one house that only had two bathrooms. There's one day I just, Okay, this might be too much for a Sunday. I had to go. <laughs> so I'm like, man, the bathroom's is full. I have to go to this other side. And what separated the other side was this glass door. So I go through the glass door. I leave the door open. I go to the other side. And I'm, it's like you're sneaking because I'm not supposed to be there. 
but this is an emergency, so they should understand, but I'm not supposed to be there, so they won't. So I'm like, okay, we got to do this however we can. I come back, and I'm trying to rush back, and I'm trying to hurry before uh, especially my grandmother come, because she's the main keeper of the house. And so as I'm rushing back, I'm kind of going fast, but kind of be quiet at the same time, and I smash right into that glass door. And I mean, I have to tell you, I was in some pain. Like, I can remember trying not to tear up. I can remember, you know, all soreness. And with all the pain I was going through, I also remembered that I had to ignore it because I was looking, I was so scared that I cracked this glass door of this part of the house I'm not even supposed to be on. I'm assuming somewhere along the way my grandmother walked past and even though she maybe didn't hear me, she said this glass door is not supposed to be open. So she closed it and therein lie my detriment. Even though I felt like that door was open, I quickly realized that what I felt wasn't the reality. And, and that pain of what I felt was a reminder that what I felt isn't always the reality. And you may say, well, how does this connect us to Peter and Jesus? You know, it doesn't matter what Peter felt after Jesus made those statements. Jesus made it clear in the very next scene that we read, whatever you feel, that's not the reality. It didn't matter. Well, for us, sometimes we struggle with the mistakes we make and how we fall short. And it doesn't matter what we feel. The reality is God doesn't change from us. God doesn't stop loving us. God doesn't get so angry that one day he's going to accept us and the next day he isn't. God doesn't treat us that way. And, and, and the way this book put it, and I appreciate it so much, sometimes we just have to let that hit us just like a glass door. Where it makes you stop and consider everything going on around you. When you realize how much God really loves you. When you realize how much God really cares for you, you just have to let it hit you. I'll give you another example. The other day, I'm driving in traffic. You can figure out how this story goes very quickly. I'm driving in traffic. Now, keep in mind, I'm working on a lesson about how much God loves us and forgives us. You know what I mean? And somebody cuts me off, like, in a crazy way. Like, they barely got past me, and they almost hit the car in front of them. And, and in my head... I said to myself almost immediately, I hope they hit a car. <laughs> Not because I want them to get hurt, right? But because I want them to get the lesson. That's the spiritual side, right? <laughs> I want them to learn the lesson. I don't just want them to get hurt. I want them to get the lesson. <laughs> but I had to catch myself. I, it had to catch me. Like, Not only does God love me so much, and I have to let that hit me, man, God loves this person. And I had to let that hit me, and I had to change my thoughts, and I started praying, God, I pray that somehow this person finds you. You know, somehow I even tried to get to the point where I'm like, man, not only does he find you, I pray that other people find you because of him. And I had to change my mindset and my thought and allow God's love to hit me. I think we have to allow God's love to hit us enough that it shifts the way we're looking at stuff. It's like sitting in here today, not knowing whatever you're going through. Jasmine, just think about how much God loves you. Really deeply loves you. You know, Mike, Monica, 
how much God loves you. I know we got teens in here. We got our young kids, no kids kingdom. Thank you kids for being so quiet. And I don't know if you're paying attention or not, but I appreciate you. Think about kids. Even though you may not be at a place where you're thinking about going after God, I want you to realize how much God loves you. For many of us, the love you feel from us is only a result of how much God loves us, and he's showing that love through us to you. Teens, I see you looking, Theo. He loves you too, boy. We have to really consider this and honestly let it hit us. You know, I was thinking about my man Ruben. Como estas? I told him I'm going to speak to him in Spanish. He told me, now you're talking my language. <laughs> We've known each other for so long. Adivina que? Dios te ama. And, and just let that soak in. Really let it hit us to the point where it literally changes our lives. Like, I literally learned that just so I could say that to Ruben today. I don't speak Spanish that good. But God loves him that much that is worth it. And I feel like we have to do this not just for our lives. Realistically, we have to let it hit us to realize how much God loves the people around us as well. The people we're angry at, people we're frustrated with, people that cut us off in traffic, the people that do stuff that we see on the news. Let's be real. Our families. Some of us in our relationships, even in our marriages, right? And this, is, this hit me when, I, when somebody told me this. Do you realize that your husband or wife is the only family member that you chose. And we wrestle so much with that relationship. Think about that. We got uncles and aunts and cousins that have ticked us off for decades. And we will sit and say, well, that's family. But let our husband or wife do the same thing, and we're like, no, we can't keep going on like this. Is it, am I, I know, I know. The only family member that we picked, we can oftentimes wrestle with, I don't know how I could take this anymore. When we've been practicing this our entire life with everybody else. And I think we need to let it hit us. I'm literally sitting having animosity towards someone that God loves. I'm, I'm questioning if I want to keep wrestling with this relationship with someone that God is constantly saying, I can't wait to have a relationship with you. Think about all the people that we can have attitudes with. And we have to let it hit us. I'm having animosity. I'm showing hate for someone God loves. I'm ready to turn my back on someone he's calling to come to him. And I think we need to go after it. We need to realize it. And we need to start saying like Peter, it is good for us to be here. No matter what we're wrestling with, no matter what we're going through, you know what? It's good for you to be here. It's good for us to be here together. Let's figure this out because God loves us and he desires for us to love one another in the same way that we see Jesus connecting back with Peter. That's our message. Uh, uh, appreciate it. <laughs> We're going, to take, we're going to say a prayer for our communion, and then we have one more song. Or, Okay, we're going to say a prayer for our communion, and then we'll have one more closing song. 
Father God, we are so grateful for you. God, I, I often pray, and I'm sure many like me pray, I don't know where my life would be if it wasn't for you, Father God. Sometimes we can feel good about the changes we've made and the accomplishments we've done, and, and, and to some degree, rightfully so, but we have to recognize we wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for you, God. God, even as we sit and think about what we read today, many of us struggle, many of us wrestle when we realize that's where we are in our lives. When we realize the struggles we've committed, when we realize the sins that, that we've done. Father God, even struggling and wrestling with other people in our lives, Father God, I pray, God, that today we will start to wrestle more with how much you truly love us to the point that it changes how we're thinking, to the point that it changes what we're doing, that it changes how we're acting, that it gets so deep into our hearts that it changes the way we look at the world around us, Father God. I pray as we think of your son on the cross today, we think of not only the sacrifice he made for us, but the sacrifice he made for everyone else around us. And we start to consider more and more just how much you truly desire a relationship with each and every person here and how much love you really have for each and every person on this earth. And all you desire is that they would love you back. And that as we remember Jesus, we don't get stuck in remembering only where we fell short, but we also remember even more the sacrifice he made so we could be forgiven. We love you, God. We thank you, God. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.